0: Beyond the Pelvis is hosted by Dr. Kenil Siegel, a pelvic floor PT and intuitive healer, and Laura Haraka, a somatic practitioner and breathwork facilitator. Each week, we explore alternative and holistic approaches to healing chronic pelvic pain and other painful or chronic conditions. Join us and other experts in mind, body, and spiritual healing as we discuss a wealth of modalities ranging from ancient practices to modern therapies that challenge the conventional Western model of treatment. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Pelvis. I'm Dr. Camille Siegel and I'm here with Laura. And first, we just wanted to say Happy New Year. We are recording this in early January and we kind of wanted to jump right in with the whole New Year's resolution thing because we had a conversation about how we do not do resolutions anymore because they just don't last and they are not effective. And both Laura and I were talking about our our intentions, really, which is what we do instead and how similar they are. And I find that that happens quite a bit when I talk to other people. I feel like collectively we all have similar enough intentions and maybe it's just the way the universe works where we're all working towards a common goal for a common purpose what do you think Laura
1: absolutely it was kind of interesting when we spoke earlier that the letter of our intention or what I call it my word of the year or my letters were the same as yours so that was pretty interesting
0: to me Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and share yours and then I can share mine.
1: Sure. So one of the things that I do every year is do I do a word of the year. And this year I had a little trouble deciding what my word was going to be. And I decided on three and I'm looking at it like the three C's. And for me, that's kind of easy to remember. And the first C for me is commitment. Commitment to myself, commitment to my family, and commitment to my business and my clients. The next C would be compassion. And I want to remind myself to have compassion on myself, have compassion for others as you know the year goes on. And the third C I was going to pick was communication. Because I really want to make an effort to not hold back, speak my mind, but doing it a very respectful way, talk to friends, talk to doctors, and not be afraid to communicate um, what's on my mind. Because I think it's such an important thing to do instead of holding back. So those are my three, and I'm excited to uh, use them, and I repeat them to myself as the day goes on to remind myself. So it becomes kind of ingrained in my head.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what's better about having a word or words or intentions, I like to call them, because you are more likely to sort of integrate them throughout your day and your weeks and your months. And you actually end up reaching those goals or you can create goals around it and you're more likely to reach them versus a resolution, which is, so superficial, they fall by the wayside in weeks. Last year, I created a program called Clear Intentions, and it was supposed to be for the new year where, you know, because I do words as well, and I just call them intentions that I'm setting for the year. And I sort of took the way I come about coming up with that and how to sort of integrate it throughout my year. I came up with a program that I did for myself. And then last year, I put it, I turned it into an actual program that I did with people and it was great and it is on my website now for sale but you do it on your own time like you just download it and each day you sort of follow along with the prompts and whatnot um but I find that you are more likely to accomplish them than resolutions cuz resolutions when I was doing the research for this I think it was like after 6 weeks like they're forgotten about people forget about them it just takes like one or two things for you to fall off of that pattern and then you forget about it and it's like by march nobody's doing that anymore they've completely forgotten about their resolutions whereas intentions you sort of build them into your daily practice your it sort of becomes your lifestyle and you just sort of go with it. And you're more likely to achieve that. And then by the end of the year, you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I actually did great.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like I like the word idea and the attention idea because it's just easy to remember. And if something's too hard to remember, we're less likely to do it.
0: Exactly. Right. It needs to be easy or it's going to feel too hard, and we're not going to do it. We're going to come up with all the excuses, and it's just going to fall by the wayside. But yeah, my resolutions, or not resolutions, but my intentions were similar to yours. I was saying that, you know, I found that people have the C's in common, although mine were related to growth. I I wanted growth in different aspects of my, my life, and community, uh, connection, and in- I don't think I had communication, but maybe something related to that. I can't remember. But it was generally around growth, growth in all of the things, growth, experiencing more love, more connection, more community, Um, yeah, around growth. So I think that's my one word, but there's other things that fall underneath it. And for me, it's pretty much a continuation of last year, hence the growth. (laughs) Just more of it, more of the stuff that I was intending on sort of cultivating from last year.
1: So if you're out there listening, maybe you guys want to think of a word for your year and let us know uh what that word is and how it works out for you after a couple of weeks, a couple months. Yeah. And see what happens.
0: And it doesn't have to be one, it could be multiple, like you have three. If you can't settle on one, or it could be like a theme like mine is growth, but I have different things underneath that, but try it out and see how it, how it works. Maybe we should check in after like a few months to see, like, <laughs> are we keeping up with that? Absolutely. We'll have to do that. Yes, yes, absolutely. So yeah, I love that for the new year and we we're discussing that this was applicable for people who experience chronic pain mm-hmm. as well, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So that leads us to our
1: topic today. And we're going to talk about chronic pain today and actually what pain is. The what, the why, and the how. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
0: Right. So yeah, why don't you do you give it that Do we need, we should give a definition, right?
1: Yeah, right. Absolutely. Well, you know, the most simple definition for me, and I don't know about you, Kanil, but is pain is just a signal. Hmm. Pain is a signal from the brain to protect us. And that's how I define it. And it's that simple. Do you have a different definition
0: you use? I, I like that, that it's a signal. I think I Define it as a, a response to a stimulus, mm-hmm. mm. which is essentially the same thing. A response to a stimulus, which may be internal or external, but we mostly think of pain as an external response to an external stimulus, not realizing that it could also be internal. Correct.
1: Yeah. There's many different types of pain, right? We feel physical pain. From an external stimulus, like if you were going to touch a hot stove, or if you step on a nail, something like that, we're going to feel that. But you're also going to have emotional pain.
0: Mm-hmm. That heartbreak happens. is a real thing. Like it actually hurts your heart when you have been heartbroken, and that's why we we use the words. It's like it's built into our language already oh, my heart's broken or don't break their heart or, you know, that hurts my heart. We put our hands on our hearts. Mm -hmm. Anytime we see something shocking or it hits us in a certain way, we like automatically will cover our hearts and put our hands on it. It's like we're trying to protect ourselves. Exactly, exactly. And, you
1: know, one of the studies, and I'm sure you've heard of it, Keneal, is when Dr. Schubner, there was a study that he talks about where they put people in an MRI machine to see the activation of their brain. And they these participants were people that recently had a heartbreak mm. <laughs> or a divorce or some type of loss of a loved one. And they actually showed them a picture before they put them in the machine and they saw which parts of the brain were activated. And then they took an unpleasant stimuli and put this hot or cold stimuli on their body, not to harm them, but just to make an activation in the brain show up. And
0: it showed up in the exact same part of the brain. Yeah. Hurt is hurt, <laughs> whether it's internal or external. I think that's where my definition came from. External, which we mostly think about when we think about pain, but it could also be internal, Right? It can also be internal, something emotional that causes distress and pain ultimately. So that's
1: why we need to look at pain through a wider lens.
0: Yeah. And that's where the whole biopsychosocial model comes into play. We, we learn about it, right? As a physical therapist, anyone in the medical field really learns about the biopsychosocial model. So we all were introduced to it, but unfortunately, it's not put into practice.
1: No, it's not. I Some of my clients are doctors who have chronic pain conditions, and the medical field doesn't have the time, the capacity to deal with the psychosocial part of it, they're just dealing with the bio part of it. So, right. even if we want to just tell people a little
0: uh, what those three parts are, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. So, the biology is what we will always, almost always think about. Is you know that's the physiology, right the the physiological pathology. What is actually going on here? So, if someone experienced back pain and they went to the medical doctor or physical therapist, they're looking at structure. What is structurally going on here to cause the pain? But it may not be the sole reason for the pain. We have to consider the other factors, the psycho and the social. And the psycho refers to who that person is, their thoughts, their emotions, their behaviors, um coping mechanisms, things like that, fears, right? We have to consider that. Uh and then there's also the social, again, who that person is, the roles that they play, uh, what is their socioeconomical status? Where do they live? Who do they live with? What responsibilities do they have? Are they parents? Do they have a high stressful job? all of those things. We have to consider those because those actually play a really significant role in how someone experiences pain, right? I think you shared share that in your story, your personal story. You had a lot going on.
1: <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of symptoms going on, but to be honest with you, mine weren't created through the body. None of those things were actually causing my pain. I but the doctors didn't hit on the other two domains of pain health, the psychological and the sociology of it. Yeah, and
0: that's why all the biological screens, right?
1: Exactly, exactly, and that's why I fell through the cracks. Hmm.
0: That's why a lot of people fall through the cracks is because they, the bio biology is considered almost always. And we don't consider the rest of it, which, I mean, I think that's why the medical system, Western medical system, is failing patients. I failed my patients because I fail to recognize that sometimes because of how I was taught in school, even though... I learned about the biopsychosocial model, but the way the system, and I mean the system as in the medical system is set up, the whole insurance model, which I don't even take insurance, but it still affects how I treat, right? The whole health system, so-called health system, I call it the sick system, how that is structured, that really limits the ability for medical providers to consider these other things. the the psycho and the social and we separate it too much Mm -hmm. oh you have this condition a mental health condition or you're bad at at coping okay we're going to send you to a mental health person but maybe they don't have the time because they have multiple jobs we we need to think about all these things right we separate it too much and it needs to just be one we need to treat it Comprehensively. Exactly.
1: We do need to treat it like that. But at the same time, you know, some of the doctors out there, just to, you know, give them a break a little bit, they're overworked Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: they don't have time in their own schedule to fit all this in. So it's not all their fault. So we're not putting blame on the doctors, but it's the medical system that's kind of broken.
0: (laughs) It's the sick system that is broken. It forces. It forces medical providers to work in such a way. And when we do step out of that model, they don't make it easy. They don't make it easy.
1: No, no. So I guess what we want to tell people is letting them know that pain is not just from the body and it's constructed by our brain and one part of our brain that processes pain is basically our limbic, limbic system in our brain, which also manages emotions. And if you're still not sure or buy into what we're saying right now, think about phantom limb syndrome. I think a lot of you have heard this. People have um, have had a part of their body having to be amputated, a arm, a leg, um, especially in the war, things happening like that. And after the limb is removed, the part of the limb that's damaged, that actually had tissue damage, the person still gets pain.
0: So it's very it's interesting. That, don't, that no longer exists.
1: Exactly. The limb no longer exists and people can still have pain. Which there, you know, validates what we're saying. That pain is constructed by the brain. And it's through three domains of health, not just one.
0: Yeah. And the interesting thing with with amputees where they have phantom limb pain is the structure, right? the The limb is no longer there. But as far as the brain is concerned, it's still there because the brain makes a map of the body and the map has not changed. The limb is gone, but the map is still there. And that's where that pain is coming from. Because the brain, as far as it's concerned, the limb is still there because the map is still written as it was when the limb was present. It hasn't quite gotten around to the fact that, oh, it's no longer there. So that's where people experience that pain. It was brought up when we were talking with Charlie. Remember he talked about the homunculus. Different parts of our body live on a different part of the brain. And that's that's the brain map. I'm calling it the brain map. You just Google homunculus. (laughs) You'll find the face is a really big one. The hands are really big. The genitalia is really big. And then every other body part has a a place as well where it lives on the brain. So if there's an amputation of a body part, The homunculus is not changed. The brain map is not changed. It's still there. And they may experience this pain in an area that is no longer even on their body physically anymore. And I think that's where people get tripped up, where they don't want to hear your pain is coming from your brain or it's in your head, as they're told. Yes, but also no, (laughs) right? It's not in your head in the sense that you're making it up. It's in your head in the sense that it's in your brain, creating all the sensations. Exactly. All pain
1: is real. So when we say it's in your head or doctors say to you it's in your head, yeah, it is in your head because your brain lives in your head, but it's coming from your brain and it's not your fault. The brain has created pain to protect you or it's from an overactive nervous system.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the different types of pain, right? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I feel like this is a good place to talk about that. So pain is not always biological, right? We already established that. But pain is not always because of a painful stimulus. Pain could also be from the nervous system itself. If there is damage to the nervous system, And it's dysfunctional, it might then sense pain where pain doesn't actually exist. There could also be pain, the sensation of pain, because the nervous system is a little too good at protecting us. It's overprotective. It's the helicopter parent hovering in there all the time, going, ah, something blew on me. You know, the wind blew on my skin. It hurts. That's pain. That's the helicopter brain. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the yeah. helicopter nervous system, it's a little too protective. At the end of the day, it's all for protection, right? We know pain when we think of pain, right? The biological pain that we think about is if you touch a hot stove or step on a nail, you're going to quickly remove your hand or your foot so that you reduce tissue damage, right? It's its protection, oh, we want that hand, let's take it off that hot stove. I want to keep that foot, let me take it off that nail, right? It's protection mechanism. But we also have to consider that pain could also be a result of a dysfunctional nervous system that it's it's gone haywire and it's sensing pain where literally nothing exists. But in your brain, it it's there. But it's because the organ, the nervous system itself is dysfunctional. Or it could be it's just too protective because it's experienced something similar in the past and now it sees everything as danger. Exactly, did I get everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, you did. You did get everything. And it's interesting the the story that comes up for me when you talked about um, it remembers pain is I, I think it's Laura Mosley that had the story of the garden hose and the snake. If I remember correctly, it was a man that got bit by a snake, and years later, he was walking in his garden, and he sees something green come up by his legs, rub up against his leg, and he automatically feels pain because his eyes see something green, and he feels this on his leg, and all of a sudden, his brain creates pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: only to look down and <laughs> it was a garden hose. <laughs> but the brain decided to give pain yeah. out of a memory. It you know remembered pain from the past. So it brought it on again.
0: And it's protective at the end of the day. It's like, oh my God, that snake hurt you in the past. Don't let this happen again. Run.
1: <laughs> exactly. You know, our brains are tricky, but we really want to thank them because in the end, they really are only there to protect us and i know you guys are thinking out there like oh i just want my pain to go away but if you understand the knowledge behind it and why it's happening it is really part of the whole as dr sarno calls it the penicillin for healing
0: yes indeed it's isn't it crazy how the brain can play these like prank games on us sometimes right like it's not funny
1: <laughs> right
0: it's not funny, but it kind of is funny, right? You have to, Sometimes you have to laugh at things, right? And I've done it where I'm like, thinking of the garden hose, right? You, you're freaking out. You experience pain and you're ready to run or fight or whatever, right? Your nervous system kicks in. You're sympathetic and it's like, fight this thing or get away from this thing, right? And then you look and it's only a garden hose. How can you not laugh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: you know, sometimes it is funny. And, you know, even my clients will say to me, you know, oh, I had like five pain-free days and then all of a sudden I thought about it and it came and I just started laughing and I go, that's when they get to the point that they can start laughing about it and being like, this is not dangerous. I was showing my brain, looking for it, and my brain showed me where it was and it's that simple and then they can laugh at it and it can fade away.
0: Because the brain will realize that they actually are safe. Mm -hmm. But until that point, right? Because some people are like, are you guys making fun of me? I can't laugh about this because pain, pain is not funny, right? Mm -hmm. But when you get to a point where you can look back and laugh and be like, oh my God, look at what my nervous system is doing. But until you get to that point, it's real serious. But it is. This is not to say that your pain is funny or it's not or it's a comedy show it really isn't it does exist and it causes it causes all kinds of changes people might experience other than changes in sensation they may actually experience changes in their skin the texture Mm -hmm. they may sweat more it may be red or or waxy like there are physical changes that can result in pain exactly or or the sensation of pain muscles can be affected. Mm -hmm. right there may be less oxygen to the area muscle tension becomes increased Mm -hmm. they may experience more pain even as a result of even that it's a terrible cycle yeah so there are lots of different changes that can like physical changes that can result in someone experiencing experiencing pain that Mm -hmm. part ain't funny
1: (laughs) right no it's not fun you know none of it's funny it's when you get to the point that you're further on down the line that you'll see the brain try to give you something and you know, it's not necessary. And, you know, it's true when we get stuck in our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight, our fight, part of our nervous nervous system. And we, it becomes chronic. And when that happens, we get a constant state of anxiety, stress, overwhelm. And we have all these emotions that are coming over us. I'll never get better. And when that happens, these negative thoughts, stress hormones are actually released in the body. And what happens is it causes not only tension in the muscles or possible muscle spasms because of lower oxygen and less blood supply, but a hypersensitivity of the nervous system, hypersensitivity of the nerves.
0: And they're more sensitive and everything hurts more. So many factors go into that. I just wanted to briefly bring up a cycle that happens with pain. Let's say that pain is brought on by a physical stimuli, internal, external, whatever. Pain happens. Let's use the garden hose example, right? The snake bites you in the garden. (laughs) Now you don't garden because you're like, there's snakes out there. So you don't go to garden. You avoid that activity. Now the brain associates gardening with pain. Not the snake, but gardening. Gardening is now associated with pain. The condition progresses. The pain gets worse every time you think about gardening. You remember the situation. Someone brings up a snake. Anything related to that. And you experience more pain. You're moving less. You're doing less because maybe that was your physical activity. Your physical activity. So now you're not doing that. You stop moving more. The more, the less you do, the more you don't move or become sedentary, the more pain you're going to experience, right? Because you're not being physically active. Now you experience anger because maybe you're gaining weight. Your pain is getting more. You're experiencing anxiety. It's now starting to affect your relationships. Your mood gets worse you fall into depression, that is going to increase your pain as well. Now you have more pain. It's like this horrible cycle. The more pain you have, the less you do, the the more you avoid things, the more anxious you get, the more pain you feel. And it just grows into this really horrible system and cycle. And I always like to talk about at this point, the the pathways, right? The brain is now forming a path. It's creating a map, right? The brain map. We keep coming back to that. And the brain creates a map for pain and it creates associations. And all of these things are sort of on the way, on the map, right? If you're driving or walking along this path that your brain has not created along the way. You see, oh, there's the garden hose. There's the actual snake. There's a tool that I use for gardening. There's a picture of my gardening. Oh, there's the neighbor that I used to see when I, when I used to garden. It's creating all of these associations and things with it. And the more you think about these things and the more you follow that path, the more you reinforce that but you don't have to do that the brain is plastic right neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to change there used to be a belief that oh once you reach a certain age you have all the brain cells you will ever have. And once you lose it, you lose it. And that is it. But that's not entirely true because you can, even someone who's had brain damage, their brain can learn to function around the damage.
1: And we are constantly creating new brain cells and old ones are dying off. So the cool thing is you aren't stuck in pain, even though the cycle is, is difficult and as Keneal said, it's it's it can be like a vicious cycle, but it is possible to get off. You can retrain your brain and the brain is capable of being retrained. But one of the things is about how this even came about, <laughs> how pain even started, because for me, and I know this happens to people and I think it's important for them to hear my story, The day before the pain happened, I was walking around the track at Brookdale Park, looking up at a beautiful blue sky with clouds, thinking I have the best life. I had just went out with my friends for my birthday. My life looked fantastic at that point. And I know that that happens to a lot of people too. They'll say, nothing was wrong. Nothing was happening in my life at the time. Nothing was happening in my life at the time really either. But pain still can be developed. And what we forget about is that pain actually can start in childhood. That's when these pathways that you're talking about are created. And they're like a danger pathway for sensitivity. So our brain starts to become sensitive to pain. And there's a lot of stresses that can happen in childhood. And those of you that are familiar, the ACE studies and things like that, if we've grown up with parents that argue a lot, if we've grown up with divorce, bullying, different things. And what we don't realize is those signals stay there. They're there. And they're priming it for the next level of our teenage years, where there might be more stresses and trauma. And later on in life, in our young adulthood, more stresses, there might be an accident we have and it triggers that danger signal and that fear pathway that has been sensitized throughout our life. So it didn't just come from that one day before where I was walking in Brookdale Park. It has to do with the entire, our entire lifespan what develops, our thoughts, our emotions, how we see the world. So I just wanted to add that in there really quick to make sure people know it didn't just, it's even if we were having a good day the day before the pain started, it's really, it doesn't just happen from one event. It can, but it doesn't.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to add that the ACE is the Adverse Childhood Experiences. And you could, anyone can go online and look it up ACE and- Take the quiz i I highly recommend everyone take the quiz because then it might reflect some things that you know, to show what's the reason or the cause or contributing factor to what you are experiencing now in your adulthood life. But the ace um the Aces quiz looks at things as you mentioned, you know, having to move or abuse. People think abuse as trauma, but there's so much more to trauma than just abuse. There could be neglect, right? There could be mental health, a family member who had mental health conditions, someone who was in prison, a divorce. There's so many things that can cause someone to experience trauma. There's big T's and little T's, big traumas and little traumas, but they add up over time. And these are the things that influence our nervous system, how we respond to things It affects the whole biopsychosocial model, right? Like this is it, the trauma, right? How it affects who you are, who you become, how you respond, how you react to things. There's so much psychology, emotional things, mental, even social, right? How you deal with certain things may actually determine what kind of job you get. I mean, I am in the helping field because I have a higher ACE score, so it's natural for me to want to help other people because maybe I never got the help and now I have the resources. I'm like, well, I'm gonna help other people who don't have the help. You don't consider that, but it's a factor, right? The things that you experience affect you in a lot of different ways. And if you go on my
1: website, feeltoheal.live, I have an actual assessment under TMS, tension myositis, myositis syndrome. It's a mouthful, that word sometimes, Mm -hmm. and we'll just call it TMS from this point on. And if you go under there, you will see I have a free TMS assessment test. And a lot of the questions from the ACE studies are on there and it will give you a score right away to see if your pain is possibly neuroplastic. Or mind-body related to Exactly. But the really great thing here is pain is reversible. And one of the ways it's reversible is just pain education.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why we're here today, just going over a few things about the about pain and the brain. And I know that a lot of people say to me too, it can't be neuroplastic. It hurts. And it's really about how your brain perceives danger. How much danger your brain thinks it's in is the more it can actually hurt. So as we've said before, from the beginning, you know, pain can be emotional and it can be physical, but it can be reversible and it is reversible. And one of the things that I like to tell people is that we can create new neural pathways in our brain. And these neural pathways are basically just habits that we have. And we can strengthen them by practice, by repetition, which is really great. And I know, and I don't know about you, Koneal, a lot of my clients will say, oh no, now I have to have this for the rest of my life because that pain pathway is there. And I don't know if that comes up a lot for you.
0: Yes, it does.
1: Yeah. So I try to explain to them a lot about pain pathways. And what happens is, When we do try and do something new, like for me, I danced, I was doing, I was dancing to try to create a new neural pathway, but because I liked dancing and because it was bringing me joy, but that new pathway I was creating was weak, but because I kept practicing and practicing and practicing, it got stronger. And the brain actually seals these neural circuits with something called neural growth factor. And it's kind of like a glue. It's like we're kind of gluing those neural pathways together, the ones for joy and happiness. And what happens is it steals the glue from the neighboring circuits, those pain circuits. So because there's not enough glue to go around. And when one neuron and another neuron connect, it starts to become a memory, which becomes even stronger. And knowledge is for the mind and experience is for the body and when we start doing the experience and keep practicing it that glue will become stronger and the other pathways for pain can just fade away
0: yes yeah, i think i think that's where the the phrase what wires together fires together
1: mm-hmm. neurons that wire
0: together fire together exactly neurons that Wired together, fire together, or fire together, wire together. <laughs> exactly,
1: yeah. One or the other. You know, it's the, it's the same constant because
0: either way, yes.
1: Yeah, because connections just become stronger when we use them more, and the ones that we use less fade away.
0: They fade away. Yeah. You brought up a couple things, and we may have talked about this in the past, but if someone's listening to this podcast for the first time and this is their first episode, you brought up acute pain versus chronic pain, and you brought up neuroplasticity so just to differentiate acute pain is when there's an injury is a result of an injury a condition or a disease and it can be fully treated and managed with time it will heal if for whatever reason after healing has occurred pain still persists usually around three months that's considered chronic pain. There may not be a physical reason or a physical damaged structure or condition or disease that is present that is causing the pain. And that could be, again, the nervous system is hypersensitive, the helicopter brain, or it could be damage to the nervous system itself. It's sensing pain where pain isn't actually present, right? That's considered chronic pain. Everything we're talking about is chronic pain. We are not talking about acute pain. You break your arm, that's go hurt. (laughs) And you need to go to the doctor. That's when you go to the doctor, right? That's where Western medicine is really great. Acute stuff, you broke something, you got into a car accident, something happened, go to the doctor. They could fix you up and give it some time. But it's going to hurt until it is here. If it continues to hurt after that and everything is healed, then there's nothing structurally wrong. Now we talk about chronic pain. That is the majority of what we're talking about here on this podcast. We're not talking about acute pain. We're talking about chronic pain. So how does that relate to neuroplasticity? So neuroplasticity is the ability for the nervous system to change or grow new pathways. So when someone is experiencing Pain and they have all these associations with pain, right? They're actually utilizing neuroplasticity. Their brain is utilizing neuroplasticity. Before the pain was there, there was one pathway, right? They live in their regular life. Now, pain was introduced and that continues to get reinforced. It gets stronger and stronger. The neurons wire and fire together, that pain grows essentially. And there's more associations. I talked about that cycle. You experience something, you stop doing the activity, you avoid it. Now you're afraid of the activity, you become anxious, your mood changes. Now you're depressed and the pain gets worse. That is a result of neuroplasticity, right? That's the brain doing what it's really good at. But we have to recognize at some point, we got to recognize that, okay, my brain has made this pathway for pain, right? It it's Use plasticity to create this pathway. Now, I would like to not experience this pain. You have to create a new pathway. That's for you, was dancing. You just need anything. Find something to disrupt that pathway, right? And it could be I'm going to start journaling. I'm going to take a kickboxing class. I'm going to sign up for a a writer's workshop or an art an art workshop or something pick something random that you would actually enjoy the more you do that the more you're gonna shift that path create a new pathway until that old one dies off the one related to the pain because you're not using it and reinforcing it as much your focus for you you were focused on learning that dance right? That consumed your, your every day. I'm gonna learn this dance. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. But it's like I said, pick something that's
0: fun for you. People
1: say to me all the time, I'm going to do exactly what you did, but you don't want to do exactly what I did. You want to do what's fun for you. You might want to learn how to play an instrument. You've always wanted to learn how to play guitar, but this doesn't have to cost money too. I don't want people to think that as well. You know, our brain our subconscious runs on routine, right? We don't think about it when we brush our teeth. We don't think about it when we go to the store and we're like almost sometimes like, how do we get there, right? right? So even just do something like the way you go to the store, go a different route, pick a different way to go. Yeah. It's not gonna cost you any money. Just go a different route there yeah. and your brain will start coming online and you'll be starting to use your thinking brain And all that, the things we call in our monkey mind that are going, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain that can settle down and your brain will start doing something else and prioritizing you getting to the store, learning a new way to get there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've recommended that quite a bit with um, my patients, especially those um, who experience uh, frequency, urinary Mm -hmm. frequency or urgency. Mm -hmm. I tell them you have to change your routine, right? You have to change. Your routine. So if you drive home past the yellow house, drive the other way past the blue house. So your brain, because your brain's always processing things, but now it's processing something different. And when it's something different, it goes, Ooh, what's that? And it focuses on that, right? So do something different. It could be as simple as reading a new book Mm -hmm. about anything, right? It could be movement. I mentioned taking a class. It could be just taking a walk every day. Now you decide to go walk for 30 minutes and maybe you walk the same path for a week and then another week you walk a different path and then another week, a different path. You just keep changing it up because you're adding new stimulus or new stimuli for your brain to process. And you're not focused on the pain. You're focused now on, oh, wow, look at that house. It's really big. Mm-hmm. bigger than that house that I thought that I liked or whatever, whatever it is. It could be as simple as just visualizing, right? And this is where meditation comes into play. I'm gonna always talk about meditation.
1: <laughs> and I'm always gonna talk about visualizations and breath work because it's so powerful.
0: So effective. Literally just imagining something different, right? One of the techniques I guess that I use with patients who experience pain is to have them visualize a, an activity that will normally trigger a painful response and I have them visualize it differently, change something. This is reframing NLP, right? I'll have them change something. It may be what they're doing, how they're doing it. It may even be like, go back to the memory of the thing you think is responsible for your for your pain, change your clothes, change the scenery outside, right? It could be put it in black and white instead of in color. It could be something, mute the sounds or make the sounds louder, make the sound of the bird on the tree louder than anything else. It's just changing something. And then you see how does that change the response? That's free to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's free to practice that.
1: Exactly. And, you know, visualizations are completely free as well. And I'll tell everyone this study. It's really interesting. It was, I believe, Russian scientists did this study and they took four groups of Olympic athletes and one group they did. They just did 100% physical training. The second group was 75% physical training and 25% mental training. The third group was 50% physical training and 50% mental. And the fourth was 25% physical and 75% mental. And guess which group did the best? (laughs) Mental. Exactly. The fourth group. So don't underestimate the power of visualizations and putting yourself in back in that memory, like Canel said, in a different light, in a different way, or even seeing yourself in the future, feeling great.
0: Exactly. Yeah. They did a study too with piano playing Mm -hmm. where they had a piano player. Like they may have been professional or maybe not at all. They like taught them a piece. And then there were some who practiced it physically and then others who mentally practiced it, didn't touch a piano, but only mentally rehearsed it. And guess who did better? Mm, let me guess. <laughs> Mental <laughs> rehearsal. And that's something that I teach my kids that. My children play sports and they play instruments. And I tell them before a competition or a big need to practice, practice it, see it first in your mind and then go do it Mm -hmm. see it first in your mind because you're activating mirror neurons we didn't bring that up before but it's mirror neurons when you're visualizing you're activating the mirror neurons as far as your brain concerned when you're visualizing it it's happening in real life your brain don't know the difference it's really happening that's why when we watch a movie we get scared our palms get sweaty we're not in any danger But our brain is like, ah, there actually is a tiger or a scary person. The killer is behind the door. Our brain legit thinks that's real. (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't know the difference. And that's to thank mirror neurons for that. But we can use neuroplasticity, mirror neurons. We can use all of these things to our advantage to help heal and be healthy. Exactly. We can use them as our superpower. yeah, that's what I love about the brain. It, it feels like magic. It mm-hmm. does feel like we're utilizing superpowers and we're doing magic tricks, but we're just utilizing how we are built. And having the knowledge is so key to that. Mm-hmm. Knowing that this is possible, it's not actually magic. It's just real life. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that this isn't woo woo. There is there's science behind it. Complete as much as I love a woo woo, like. <laughs> Me too. I'm all about the
0: woo-woo, but at the same time, there is science behind it. Absolutely. There is science to back all of these things up. And even if there's not science to back it up yet, it's coming.
1: (laughs) And I can't wait.
0: (laughs) There's always an explanation for all of the things, but it's it's really nice to know that there is science to support these things and we don't have to be stuck in our ways. We don't have to be stuck in pain. We can think our way out of pain, which seems crazy and ridiculous, but we can think our way out of pain. And look, don't get offended that it's so simple. Oh, all I have to do is think my way out of pain? Well, you didn't know that before, but now you know that. And you know some of the mechanism behind it, start thinking your way out of pain. It's not as simple as, I have no more pain. Because is your brain going to believe that? No. Absolutely not. It's a practice. You have to work on it every day. You have to show and prove to yourself that you are not in pain. And it could be as simple as, instead of saying, like I have no pain. That's not true. You are experiencing pain. But it could be... I have no pain in my pinky, that's truth, unless your pinky actually hurts, but right, just pick some place that doesn't hurt. My earlobe, my earlobe feels completely normal. I have no pain there. Then you're you start to shift your focus. Exactly. But yeah, you can think your way out of pain. Yeah. It takes time.
1: Mhm. Habits aren't created in you know, one thinking process, (laughs) one time you're going to sit down and say, okay, I'm not in pain. I'm not in danger. I'm safe. It doesn't just go away like that. We have to actually prove to ourselves we're safe and feel it in our body, which is very important.
0: Absolutely. Because those mirror neurons, they need to know. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I really hope that we gave everyone today a good understanding of pain and the brain and how neuroplasticity works
0: i mean we will continue to talk about these things and dive even deeper into all of these things but yeah this is a good start the what the how and the why (laughs) i think we covered it we did it exactly (laughs) but yeah thank you for joining in and tune in next time and if you have any questions be sure to let us know If you'd like to leave us a message or ask a question, please check the show notes with the link so you can reach us directly or email us at beyondthepelvisgmail.com. At